Well, good morning, everybody. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not sure where to go from there, that introduction. I don't know whether I should bust out on a, uh, a rap or a song for you. Or, and now I feel a bit under pressure. Now you're saying, yes, I got nothing. I got nothing. I'm too, some of you had to go way back to even remember, and I, I've forgotten all the lyrics. So tough. You're just going to get a preach this morning. I'm going to put my timer on because Jamie said I've got three minutes. No, kidding. If I, <laughs> I counted it a real privilege to be here this morning. And um, I've watched the journey of Harbour City over these last 10 years, a little bit from a distance. Uh, saw in Grant and a crew of people planted a site of Red Point. And then, uh, of course, when Jamie and Lisa took over, and um, we are trusting God together with you for the city. We are waiting with great anticipation just for the exponential impact that you're going to have on the city together with other churches. And uh, so it is a real privilege to be able to be here with you this morning and hopefully to share something that would be an encouragement to you as you go on this journey. Uh, when Jamie reached out to me to preach, um, again, I was really excited by the opportunity and uh, even more so when he, when he told me what it was that he wanted me to preach on, which is this idea of the church that we need. Because at times I feel like I live and breathe this stuff. Um, in my nearly 30 years of ministry, I've agonized over anything that I do for God in, in the sense that I really don't want to do anything that is faithless, fruitless, or flippant. I'm, I don't want to waste my time. I want to be doing what God wants me to do, and I want to do it with not just um, passion and zeal. I want to do it in accordance with His will, uh, desperately committed together with, with God's Word, the Spirit of God in me, the knowledge and wisdom of peers, as well as church history, to make sure that I'm doing what God wants me to do. And, and leading a church, together with my wife, has been no different. Around 15 years ago, we were given the opportunity of taking over this church that had planted a little bit like Red Point Durban, out of a bigger church. And um, we were essentially going to just lead it for a season and then move back up the hill. But Bron and I ended up falling in love with the people there and really had a sense from God. It was almost like a, a mountaintop moment. We went to the Berg. Not that you have to go to the Berg to hear from God, but we went to the Berg. And I remember having a real deep sense in my heart that God, God said to me, I want you to lead this church as if it's the last thing you'll ever do. And, and that's been our passion and one of the things that stood out for me in those early years was that, together with Bron, but I'll take a bigger hit for our team, is that we had this kind of youthful zeal and passion to somehow do it better than everybody else. You know, like if you meet an engaged couple that are about to get married, no one has ever loved in the world like they have loved, right? And that was kind of how we approached church back then. We thought, we're going we're gonna to smash this. We're going to bring all of our creativity to bear. We're going to do things differently. And as was, what happens with most young people, certainly in ministry, is, is that uh, pride and arrogance does get knocked out of you in one fell swoop, which did happen to us. Yeah, on a few occasions. <laughs> but this, it was this realization that... 
the church that Jesus is building, of course you can be creative. Of course you can do things in a different way. You can be, you know, practically innovative. But the substance of church is something that is ancient. The substance of church is something that is transcendent. It's something that is far greater than what any human hand could, could create. And so when it comes to the church we need, we very quickly saw with, with kind of technicolor brilliance that the church that you want is very different to the church that you need. And if you're a parent here today, you certainly know that when it comes to your kids, there's a lot of things that they want, and as a parent, you intuitively know that that may not necessarily be what they need. Those things can be very different. Some time ago, I received a call from a friend up in Johannesburg, who also involved in a church up there, and he invited me to a conference. And the kind of bait on the hook was that he said, hey, we're hosting these church practitioners, and, and uh, we really would love you to come, because you know what? These guys have worked out the metrics, They've worked it out. If you do these certain things, they will come. You know, if you build it, they will come. They had worked out how it was that you could gather a crowd. Unfortunately, it is quite symptomatic, I think, today of this drive within church culture to somehow create a church experience that feeds into the wants rather than our needs. An experience that can be a little bit like going to a theme park. You know, how, how, how well were you welcomed? And, and, uh, and, and was the coffee good? Was it, did the worship band sing the songs that you like? And, and is, the, is the pastor someone who looks like he could be on the cover of Men's Health and he's preaching lots of really nice tweetable quotes that tickle your ears, but I don't know if it really moves your heart. The ultimate aim, and, and forgive me for being a little bit cynical, but the ultimate aim being, like, how was your experience at church? Now, I'm not opposed to people having a great experience. I'm certainly not opposed to a great coffee. But if that's the thing that drives church, I'm not convinced that that's the church we need. With all that in mind, Bron and I very quickly came to realize that there are some things that just make church church, and it doesn't matter how much practical wisdom or pragmatics you can add to it, it is this godly, given, birthed body of people that is beyond us, it's transcendent, it's marvelous, and we have the wonderful privilege of being part of it. And part of the reason why I even believe that the church still exists today, 35 million of them around the world, is because actually it's God's design, not man's design. If it was man's design, the church would have fallen a long time ago. If Jesus is building his church, we should, we should expect it to be miraculous. We should anticipate that it be impossible to somehow reduce church to a set of systems and processes and good coffee. And one of the things that really stood out for us in those early years of leading this little church was I came across this passage of Scripture in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 8 where Paul says that he was so affectionately desirous of these people that he didn't just want to share the gospel of God but wanted to share his very own self because they had become so dear to him. 
And that scripture spoke to us because our desire was that we didn't want to lean into the metrics of building a church. We didn't want to lead into the metrics of creating an organization. We saw that there was this wonderful possibility, not of an aggregation of people in rows, but a congregation of people who represented the body of Christ. Far more potent. Can I tell you, it's very easy to fill rows. It's very easy. And, and there's cliches around that. You know that we grow in circles, not in rows. You know, you hear those things. And they're true. Obviously, it's, it's practical to sit here and to listen, be part of it. But there's something about a community that is far greater than just filling up a room. And our passion as as leaders in the church, was that we wanted to have a congregation of people passionate about growing in Christ and reaching out to the world and being the church that we ought to be. And so the question that we're asking this morning as Harbor City looks forward into the future is what is the church that we need? Now when most people, or when most pastors, should I say, look to the scriptures to somehow find some kind of indication of what the church should embody, we generally go straight to Acts 2.42. And I'm not going to systematically go through that, but I do want to read it together because here we see the birth of the New Testament church. And so let me read it for us this morning. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and, all, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and putting together 50 packs of things to deliver to those in need. Okay, that's, I'm adding there. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and they were helping people go on church camp. As any had need. And day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their, uh, their homes they drank great coffee and received their food with glad and generous hearts. <laughs> Please don't go away saying this looks like a heretic. He was like adding to the Bible. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now forgive me in advance. I'm not going to go through this systematically. But I, I'm going to speak in broad terms around some things that I think make church, church. And when church is the way God intended it, that's the church we need. So let me give you a bit of context quickly on Acts 2.42. Acts, in many ways, is the sequel to Luke's gospel. And in Luke's gospel, we see this incredible display of Jesus' public ministry. And Jesus is going around, he's performing signs and wonders, he's teaching about this coming kingdom, and I believe it's about 39 times in Luke's gospel we see Jesus say, the Father has sent me. The Father has sent me. And then what happens, we know it ultimately culminates with Jesus dying on the cross for us, rising again. And then he meets with his disciples in different forums and different spaces. And in that time, he commissions them with that great commission to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that he had commanded. And interestingly enough, 39 times he said, the Father has sent me, but now he says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. But he gives him a caution. He says, wait, wait for the helper. Wait for the gift that my Father is sending. 
Jesus ascends to heaven and these ragtag bunch of disciples find themselves in the upper room, probably a little bit confused, despondent, dejected, disappointed. Some of them still living with a bit of a residue of the fact that surely Jesus is going to come back with might and power and political strength and usurp the Roman rule. But it's in this moment actually something else happens. God pours his spirit onto this ragtag bunch of people, these early disciples. All heaven breaks loose, spills out into the street, and on the, on the back of the preaching of the gospel, empowered by the Spirit of God, thousands are added to their number that day. And this is what we see, friends, under this great command of making disciples under this great imperative of Jesus saying, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you, colliding with the empowering of the Spirit of God, what do we see? We see the church emerge. See, when Christians are empowered by God's Spirit, under the mission of Christ, and are moving forward, what happens is that the church happens. The church happens. The first overriding thing that I want to say to you today is is that sometimes we approach church ourselves rather pragmatically and we think this is a great way for us as Christians to feel good about ourselves instead of realizing that right here, right now, here in Harbor City, together with millions of churches around the world, there is a lampstand here burning bright that Jesus has placed here. This is a miraculous body. You're not here because the coffee's good. You're not here because you have friends. You might think you're here because you've got friends. You might think you're here because actually you really enjoy Jamie and Lisa's leadership and you might enjoy the vibe. You're not here actually because of that. You're here because God has given you to this place, because he's building it. We don't do church to feel good about ourselves. We don't church, do church to have a great church experience, to feel a bit of encouragement. We don't do church because anthropologically we know that humans need community and friendship, and so it's good to have it rather at church than at the pub. We do this because actually God has instituted this. You know, one of the things that... Um, that really stood out for me in those first few months of COVID when one of the greatest expressions of church was pulled out from under us, that of the gathering of the church. Remember, the church is not just here today gathered. When you, when you go home, you're scattered. You're still the church. You exist in both forms, right? But that main component of us gathering together, the carpet was pulled out from under us. A lot of us pastors had to do some real soul searching because we had to be reminded again of why it is that we do what we do, why it is that actually we should gather, why it is that we shouldn't forsake the gathering of the, the saints. You see, if you remove the miraculous emergence of the church that Jesus initiated, you can simply see it through pragmatic eyes like actually it's not so bad you know what because there's if it's really about my experience it's about what I'm being fed and and to be honest by sometime today and early tomorrow you can listen to anybody that you like in the world in terms of church teaching and you can see their full service with worship and you can sit in your pajamas on your couch if that's what it's about you can do that 
But one of the things that really hit me hard in the chest in that first month was I realized, hold on a minute, right now this is a sacrament that's going on here. You see, because the Bible says when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, you know what that means? The Bible says you are now seated with Christ in heavenly places. That means that when you physically gather here together, you are representing a spiritual reality that is above and beyond and cosmically mind-blowing. Sacrament is this idea that it's a physical representation of a spiritual truth. So you gathered here today, oh, showing forth the body of Christ represented in this world. It's mind-blowing. It should be mind-blowing. So with all of that in mind, what is the church that we need? What are some of the things that, that should be evident in the church? And certainly as I look at Acts 2 and take other scriptures into consideration that speak of the church, I, I want to propose to you at least three things that I think need to be central in the church for the church to be what we need. I think there might be more, but for the sake of time, I'm going to give you three. Is that okay? You sure? You're looking a bit nervous. I'm the one who's supposed to be nervous. <laughs> now, I don't think that these three things are necessarily things that you've never heard before. And I do believe, knowing Jamie and Lisa and knowing your legacy as a church, I do believe that I, I can say these three things with confidence, knowing that they are already embedded in Harbor City. And so you might say, well, then why are you telling me? Well, I want you to grow in your confidence. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to say, yes, Lord, we're here because this is the church we need. So the first thing that I believe any church should have within its foundations is a passion for God's Word. A passion for God's Word. Not just a passion for God's Word, but a submission to God's Word. And an understanding that God's Word is that which carries authority in the life of the church. It is impossible to overstate the importance of this. The Scriptures are not optional extras when it comes to the church we need. From everything to guidance, governance, how you live your life, the authority that we appeal to as Christians, that's really important. If I'm talking to two business people in our church who want to engage in a deal, I will always tell them, it doesn't matter how nice they are, I will always say, put it in writing. Why? Because you need a document that's outside of you to appeal to when things go wrong. The Bible supersedes that but it performs the same function, friends. In, in all areas of life, you and I, we need something to appeal to that's outside of us, that's not the pastor's thoughts on an issue, that's not a perspective, it's the truth of God's Word. It's one of the anchors. And let me tell you, the authority that your leaders have in the church is a deferred authority. Their authority is amplified the moment they preach God's word. Their authority is diminished the moment they just give you their fancy ideas or tweetable quotes that will tickle your ears. <laughs> when we live in the truth that the Bible is inspired, it's without error, it's the authoritative word of God. We see the beauty of these 
this collection of 66 books written by 40 different authors over 1,500 years with a unified message, that message that being that God created this world, that you and I have sinned against God. We keep sinning against God, but God loves us so much that he sends his son to die for us in our place for our sin, having lived the life that we should live, that when we put our faith and our trust in him, we are reconciled to God. It's in the Bible where we find everything that humanity needs, everything that we need to know about who God is, how it is that we're saved, how to live a life pleasing to God, how leaders should lead in the life of the church. It's all there. And we hold to this. And when we hold to this, we find ourselves connected to an ancient faith, a faith that has existed for centuries part of the church that we need is a church that's been initiated and inaugurated and birthed by God. And when we hold to the word of God, that's the church we need. Additionally, let's not forget that when we read in Acts 2, what came prior to Acts 2 was that the, the, the Spirit descends on these people, empowering them for ministry. One of the major things, this is the second thing. So the first is that we honor the Bible. We honor the Word of God. The second thing is, is that we see that the church we need is a church that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Whenever I speak to people in our church, doesn't matter whether they're congregants or people who are serving in worship or even the preacher who's prepared a message, I'll always try and paint this picture for them in terms of our church gathering, our coming together. I'll say, this is, this is how it works Right, So you as a worship team, you prepare your songs. You practice your songs. You as a preacher, you go and do your research. You curate your sermon. You as a welcoming server, you looking out for visitors, you ready. You as a congregant who's coming to church, your heart is open. You're waiting for God to speak. But do you know what all of that is? It's wood for the fire. And I'll say this to each of them. I'll say, you're not the fire. You're not the fire. Bring the wood, bring your heart, bring your preparation. And when you do that, we trust that God will bring his Holy Spirit fire and he will make whatever it is that we do greater than what it could ever be if it's just us. Additionally, when it comes to the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we must see, friends, that every single one of you right here are, are given gifts. Gifts by the power of the Holy Spirit so that you use those gifts so that the church would grow. To edify the church, to use biblical language. That means to, to see others grow up and flourish in their walk with God. That's the church we need, right? That's the church we need. The Bible speaks about the fact also that when you are filled with God's Spirit, and you live lives surrendered to God, that means that your eyes are now open to the glory of God. Now, whenever I, I've grown up in church all my life, and when I hear people talk about the glory of God, I get very nervous because I know that a lot of people don't know what in the world they're talking about. Now, what, is that? what are, we, are we waiting for, like mist to come through the windows? What is the glory of God? The glory of God, friends, is seeing a life changed, seeing a marriage restored, Seeing the beauty of God's creation. Seeing a father love his child. 
standing together in worship. You know what's so lovely about this church? It's just the, multi, the multicultural essence of this church right now. And to look over your shoulder and see people from different, different races, different backgrounds, all worshiping God. You know that that's the glory of God. And the Bible says and when you're filled with the Spirit of God and you see the glory of God, do you know what that does to you? It changes you from one degree of glory to the next by the power of the Holy Spirit into Christ-likeness. We need God's powerful work in our lives, changing us. Every single one of you are here, I believe, because there's something in you that recognized you need Jesus. You need Jesus to do a work in your life. And ultimately, a church that is, in, that is in, encouraging the Holy Spirit to move in your heart is a church that ultimately starts to see the fruit of the Spirit displayed in its members. And remember, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not your fruit. It's the Spirit's fruit in your life. Love, peace, joy, patience, long-suffering, and more. So the church we need is a church that honors the Bible. The church that we need is a church that is empowered by the Spirit of God. Thirdly, this morning, I would want to implore you with the fact that the church that we need is a church that puts the gospel back into the center. Something that really sort of um, distresses my heart a little bit, um, having been involved in kind of church-type work for 30 years, I noticed that pre the internet, it was far easier to march for Jesus with my brothers and sisters from other churches than it is today. It's because we're putting up electric fences all over the place because the gospel's not at the center. Because it's different, there's different convictions and different expressions and so we get so sort of tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that we forget about the gospel. I love the fact that when Jesus sees those two disciples on the road to Emmaus and they don't they're not sure who he is, but what he does is he unpacks the entire Old Testament and tells them how it points to him. It's not my, it's not my um, I don't know who said this first. It was some better preacher than me, but I love what he said. When he said, you know, we, we make the mistake of, of looking at the Bible through a moral lens, not a gospel lens. And so we look at David and Goliath and we say, Hey, hey church, you know, you're David and what are your five stones? You know, now what have you got in your hand to go and conquer the giant in your life? And this pastor so rightly said, you're not David. You're not David. You're the cowering Israelites behind the enemy line, right? In fact, David is pointing to the true and better David who is Jesus, who conquered the real giants in your life of death and the sin of uh, uh, the curse of sin and the curse of the law that's putting the gospel at the center that's reminding us we like to put ourselves as the heroes of the story Jesus is the hero of the story Jesus is the hero of the story 
Some time ago, Bron and I were at a church in Johannesburg. Lovely church, a church that we'd all be familiar with in terms of just the the way it's run. Lovely church. The pastor um, did this incredibly well-researched sermon uh, on gratitude and thankfulness. He was incredibly thorough. I mean, he went into the the Greek and the Hebrew of different words and so on. And and he was really unpacking this text. He did a great job of motivating the church to live lives of gratitude and thankfulness. And for all intents and purposes, it was a wonderful church meeting. Now you're going to hear me say, but. My but was that uh, later in that afternoon, I was sitting there and I was thinking back and I realized I, I hadn't heard the gospel We hadn't sung the gospel. I wasn't reminded again of God's work over my life in the person of Jesus. I wasn't reminded of what Jesus had done for me. Now, of course, there's loads of of great stuff in the scriptures around moral imperatives. There's lots of stuff that you could look in the scriptures of of encouragement, of things to do. Just this last two weeks, though, in our church, we did a short series on the greatest commandment where the scribe goes to Jesus and says, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, it's to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might, with all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, as I dived into that, I realized, you know, people that love Jesus as a great teacher and an example are fooling themselves because if you just take the moral imperatives from Jesus it will crush you you cannot do it you cannot do it until you see that Jesus was crushed for you and out of his love for the father and his love for us actually that's gospel fuel to motivate you that's far greater than us just saying you can do it No, in fact, Jesus throughout the Gospels is saying, you can't do it. And so I'm going to do it for you. And and friends, you might say, well, that sounds like a bit like putting me down. No, no. When you see that he did it for you, all of a sudden, everything you do is now motivated by real gratitude and real thankfulness. And it's I used this example at church last week, and, it, and they didn't get it. Maybe you'll get it. Like I said, I said you, know, you know that moment when you, when you give a lavish gift to your child? Like there's a spring in their step when they, they do their chores for the next few hours. Right? And everybody was like, no, not my kids. <laughs> but imagine that, I mean, you can imagine that that's the case, right? That you're... Your child receives a gift they didn't know they were going to get. And all of a sudden, they're not complaining about unpacking the dishwasher. You know? Now think about that exponentially much bigger when you realize the gift of what God has given us. All of a sudden, you start to love God more with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you are loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Not because you're trying to get into God's good books. You're already in Christ. We need the gospel week in and week out. I'm going to make sure. Okay, I've got just a few minutes. These three things I want to to exhort you around. The church that we need is a church that honors the scriptures, is empowered by the Spirit of God, puts the gospel at the center. Puts the gospel at the center. In our church, we use this analogy of blood, ink, and pencil. We say there's some things we want to die for, and we'll write it in blood. You know, 
Jesus was born of a virgin. We serve a triune God. We, we, we believe that he died on the cross and he rose again. We believe Jesus is coming back. We believe the Bible is God's word. These are things we want to die for. Then we've got some things in pen. How we are led in our church, the fact that we baptize believers, we don't baptize babies, we don't have a, we'll march for Jesus with our Presbyterian brothers and sisters, but in our church, those are our convictions. And then lastly, we have pencil where, when is Jesus coming back? I've worked out the date, right? No, we'll, we'll, we'll have fun arguments about that, but we're not going to die over that. We want the gospel to be at the center. Churches pull themselves apart when they make secondary issues primary issues. And friends, when these things are pillars in the church with Christ as the cornerstone, values emerge. Things start to take place in your church. All of a sudden, there's this desire to grow in God. There's a desire to actually know God more. Discipleship becomes a value. Mission becomes a value. Serving becomes a value. Worship. I think there was a song we sang this morning. I worship you with all of my life. A church that has the scriptures at the center, empowered by the Spirit of God, gospel front and center, all of a sudden you realize God has the ultimate value, not just on a Sunday morning, but every part of my life. And so when I have a conversation with my friend, when I love my spouse, when I parent my child, when I engage in the job that I do, all of it is worship. All of it is worship when done unto God. But community becomes a value. Why? Because we serve a triune God. We serve a God who within the, tr the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, was perfect joy, perfect love, perfect unity. And despite popular be belief, God did not create this world and you in it because he was lonely. God created this world and you in it out of an overflow of his love, out of an overflow of his joy, out of an overflow of his unity. And so when you and I in the church enjoy that unity, it's a reflection of the God we serve. And by this shall all men know that we are his disciples. Can I just give you, if I may, just four practical implications of what devotion looks like when you engage in the church that you need. Can I be super practical? So this is what we say to our church. We say, if, if this is your home, there are some family expectations. In our home, we have family expectations. Our daughter, who's 18, she knows every morning if the light is on in the dishwasher, that means that the dishwasher ran and the, the dishes inside are clean. It's her job to empty them out. I take the rubbish out. There's lots of things I do. <laughs> but Bron does most of it. But and one of the family expectations is that we eat a meal together at least three or four times every week around the table. Because there's conversations, there's things that happen around the table that don't happen when you're sitting in front of the TV. 
So the first family expectation we say to our church is if you're in the church that you need, which has got the Bible, uh, honors the Bible, is empowered by the Holy Spirit, the gospel's at the center, will make church a regular occurrence in your life. Attend regularly and serve. And you know what? Fast food is not all bad. It's just bad if that's all you eat. So some people say, well, I, I like church every now and then but you know my favorite tv preacher is so and so my favorite this is and i get a lot of food out there well that's fast food and if all you ever eat is fast food it'll make you sick you have to come to the family table because it's at the family table where jamie's going to serve some broccoli from time to time you know if you're going through a book, of the, a book of the Bible, his father-in-law is in our church, and the other day he preached, and I gave him a passage of Scripture which he was very grumpy about because it was a hard passage. But you know what he said when he got up there? He said, I'm grateful that we're preaching through this book because if we weren't preaching through this book, we would never choose the Scripture to preach on. We would always go to our favorite passages, Friends, sometimes you actually have to eat the broccoli. Sometimes there's going to be a time where Jamie's going to get up here and say, guys, you know, part of our, our belief in the Scriptures is that it's quite clear in the Bible that actually eternity, eternity for humanity leads to a, a, a differentiated outcome. There's a heaven and there's a hell. And today I'm going to preach to you about hell, and everybody's going to go, whoa, we need some tomato sauce with this broccoli. Some, but it, but can I, uh, that's an example. It's an example of some of the tough things that we have to deal with, and you're only going to deal with that when you come around the family table. So the first thing I would say as an expectation, if you're in the church that you need, that honors the scriptures, empowered by the Spirit of God, gospel at the center, attend regularly and serve. The second thing that I would say is you've got to find a way to connect with community. You've got to find a way to find your people within the church. And that takes effort. And often within a church, and certainly in, in our church, and I'm sure here at Harbor City, there's community groups, there's way in which that you can find a way that you can be known. We often have an over-realized expectation of the church that, that it's their job to kind of coddle us and make us feel. No, it's also your job to connect in with community. That would be a family expectation. The third family expectation and, and, and again, I, I resonate, I think, with even the heart of, of this church would be that you, you give financially to the church. You give, it's, it's an imperative in Scripture, but you don't do so because somebody told you and is putting you under compulsion. You do so from a generous heart. You do so from a place of, of giving to God an offering. That's what you do. In your local church. The third, or sorry, the fourth and last thing is that you give yourself to hospitality and friendship making. That you give yourself to it. That you, you give yourself to making sure the doors are wide open for those who are hurt, lost, broken, curious, despondent, dejected, 
maybe have everything in life that they want, but they still feel empty. That you give yourself to making sure that there's an extra chair at your table. I want to encourage you, Harbor City. God has placed a lampstand here. Jesus is the one whose light is burning bright, drawing people unto himself. And I know as Jamie and the leadership pursue faithfulness and fruitfulness in accordance with God's word, empowered by his spirit, proclaiming the gospel, watch what God will do. Watch what God will do in your heart. Watch what God will do in the hearts of those around you. Watch what God will do in your community. Watch what God will do in the city and beyond. God has a plan for this church. The church we need is a church that honors his word, is empowered by his spirit, and is a proclaimer of the gospel. Can we pray? Father, I thank you that nobody is here by accident. I thank you, Lord God, that faithful to your word, you are putting living stone upon living stone, building your church. And Father, we thank you for the city of Durban. She's been... She's been battered over these last few years. She's been hammered. And thank you, Lord God, for a remnant. Thank you, Lord God, for an outpost. But most of all, thank you, Lord God, for a lampstand that burns bright, that shows the world Jesus is alive. He's building his church She's not perfect. She's not a perfect bride. But he's washing her with his word. And Lord, we pray for a harvest. We pray for many to come to the foot of the cross and to find this incredible salvation. To put their faith and their trust in you, Jesus. Father, I pray for your blessing on the leadership in this church. And I thank you, Lord God, that there is a passion to be servant-hearted leaders. Thank you, Lord God, there isn't this hierarchy of systematic leadership that, that looks from top down. But there is a heart to see each person in this church thrive in their walk with you. Lord, bless that in Jesus' name. Bless the children in this place and the families that are represented here. Thank you, Lord God, for some of my single brothers that I was talking to earlier who are trusting you for wives, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. You, you know exactly who you have for them. Thank you, Lord God, that um, some are even called to live out their singleness for you in pursuit of what it is that you have for them. But Lord, where each person finds himself, I pray for your blessing, I pray for your anointing, and I thank you, Lord God, that as they, as they graft themselves into this church, I thank you, Lord God, that the reciprocal devotion 
would be that the elders of this church would remind themselves of the great responsibility that one day they will give an account for how it is they lead. And, and under that responsibility and within the call that you've given them, they will lead with gracious hearts in accordance with your word. We trust you for that in Jesus' mighty name.